Hello and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus. My name is Shailesh, I'm the CEO at Get Football Group. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, David. David, how are you today? I'm well, Shailesh, how are you today? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, transfer window is opened, things are heating up. It's always crazy. Twitter becomes a complete, well... I probably don't have the right word for it, but let's. It's, yes, it's do. An, it's, <laughs> I do. It's probably probably not for the right ears, but it's an interesting place. But uh, David, it's great to have you as always. And today, what we're going to talk about is an extension of what we talked about last time, which was recruitment and and the different challenges and you know how sporting directors deal with those challenges. But today, I think what we wanted to talk more about was kind of like the food chain. Um, with regards to clubs, with regards to sporting directors. We also wanted to try to delve a bit deeper into some of these, I guess, smaller market clubs, you know, how they kind of fit into this whole, I guess, structure um, across Europe and across, you know, global football. Um, but just to get us started, David, you know, when we talk about food chain, um, what, what, are you, what are you actually meaning there? Can you expand? Yes. Uh, so I'll try to be compact in how I say it. So when I say food chain, I mean, quite simply, um, Real Madrid is not going to get a striker from League Two, okay? Uh, as As much as we would like to make that happen on Football Manager or FIFA or in our minds, it's not gonna happen simply because it's just not realistic from many different angles. So whether it's wages or quite frankly, skill level, Real Madrid needs a certain level of talent, of profile at that position. So when I talk about food chains, again, I I gotta be careful how I say it, but I, I think of the savannah and I think of the watering hole. You have so many different animals, but you have one pool, you know, a, a hole of water, right? So you have predators, you have your, um, dare I say your, uh, I don't want to say vegetarians, but like, you, you, you know, you have your animals that eat grass and plants and figs and such. Um, and then you have your, I'm going to call it your opportunistic um, uh, creatures. They, they might be predators, but they only eat a certain type of food, whether it's, you know, like hyenas where they can hunt, but they'd rather steal what's been killed or things of that nature. So this is not National Geographic. I don't want to get too far <laughs> into that uh, that, um, that uh, illustration. However, good directors, you know, at the end of the day, it really starts with understanding and embracing. Maybe that's the word, embracing who your identity is as a club, because then it allows you to recruit for that. It allows you to not just recruit players, but recruit um, a manager and a um, uh, let's call it an honesty and a discipline to that playing style where you know what type of player, what type of profile, what type of manager you need when the market opens. Last time we we're talking about change the bank, run the bank, um, you know, as far as when when directors make moves, if you will, um, you, you have to. And I don't know if I did a good job of saying it previously, but you have to bet heavily always on your identity. You have to. If you do not bet on your identity, you are not going to get the best profiles in your club. Uh, I'll use Real Madrid, continue to use Real Madrid. Uh, they they paid, I don't even know how much they paid for Endrick at Palmeiras. 
But if you watch any highlight reel of, of Endrick, of him scoring goals or celebrating, in your mind, there is no other pl- club in Europe that he could play for, right? And ironically, that's by design. That's by design. So he might be, uh, I don't think he's even 16, right? Because he would, he, if he was 16, he could have went directly over. Uh, I don't think he's even 16. I think he's 15 and change or, or whatever the, the, the calendar math is. Um, that, that recruitment of him has been going on for well over 18 months. So to, to package my thought, the, the food chain is, is more so, yeah, we, we think about bigger clubs taking club, uh, players from smaller clubs. That's the, the dare I say, the, the, the culinary aspect of it. But the conceptual point is more so as a director, when you know who and what your club is and what they are about objectively, i.e. we're trying to get into Europa League, we're trying to not get relegated. When you understand that, it allows you to be opportunistic when the 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 chances arise to to get a manager of a certain level, to get a, a right back of a certain level. It's it's all encompassing and it's always the, the calculation is always going on whether the window is open or not. So just just on that Real Madrid thing, so we we talked about identity and we talk about do you, do you think it's obviously by design, right? That they want to, you know, buy big, I guess, in many ways, even even if it's a, a relatively unknown player like Endrick, when I say unknown, he's obviously well known, but in terms of his potential, where it's going to reach, they're taking a chance. But you don't see them doing like a £500,000 or £500,000 or Euro purchase from, you know, the, the Pro League. Is that by design, do you think? Or do you think they'd love to, but they'd like, that's just not our identity, so we're not even going to bother with it. It's some combination of both, and I forget the director. Um, it might have been Monchi, but I, I think it's um, man. It's when you write so many threads, you you forget which ones, uh, which director it is. But essentially, Florentino Perez has said in so many words over the last twenty years. You know, Florentino, you have the means. You can get. You could have got. Um, probably kicking himself now. You could have got Mbappe ten years ago, right? Why not? Well, it's Real Madrid. I mean, no matter how you feel about the top clubs in the world or top clubs in Europe, whether you're for them or against them, whether you want to throw out, you know, phrases like sport washing or where they're getting. Okay. You know, I I understand and I respect where you're coming from with those, um, whether you want to call them accusations or observations. I, I understand that. That being said, every club, their crest, their their, their badge is a brand that needs to be protected. It, there is a tradition and there is a level of expectation of performance that is of the utmost to be protected. So depending on the club and the structure of the league and, and that country, it looks different. Florentino Perez cannot be Florentino Perez in Germany, for example, right? Um, but he knows that if you're going to play in the number nine position, or you know, just to be simple, the number nine position at Real Madrid, you have to have you have to have the highest skill set. Let's be honest, you have to have the highest skill set, but you have to be wired in a correct and very specific way. How long? How long 
did we pan and, and destroy Kareem Benzema for not being Kareem Benzema after he went to Real Madrid? Over a decade. Over like over a decade. I mean, think about that. Over a decade. Um, you know, uh, not, not to go into the whole uh, current events thing too much, but him going for whatever he went to, uh, you know, transfer wise to, I think it's what, Al-Itihad. Um, he's 35. <laughs> he's 35. You're, like, think about that. It's not that it's a good or bad transfer, good or bad. Do not like do not conflate what I'm saying. That is a different conversation. What I am saying is that Florentino Perez and his setup, however you want to identify that, they bet correctly on Benzema, what, 2008, 2009? And they had him on their books, on the pitch, and then obviously, you know, for, for, the, um, for the crest, for the better part of, of 14 years, 15 years. You, we, we, can't, we can't play it both ways, right? Like, we, we have to understand that at the end of the day, uh, who can play goal or goalkeeper for Arsenal is different than who can play goalkeeper for Montpellier, right? People don't want to hear that, you know. Um, and I'm sure that there's there's data and there's um, scatter plots to 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 make me wrong. Yet we're not talking about data. We're talking about personality we're talking about blood sweat and tears you have to be of a certain level and have gotten to a certain level and proven it to be able to play at those let's call it top of the food chain clubs it's the status of those clubs right it's the status of them which gives them that position at the top you know there's history there there's revenue there all of these things and i guess there's an immense amount of hard work that they have to do to keep themselves at the top but the way football i mean football moves slowly right you're not Rarely do you get a club which is all of a sudden going to go from nothing to something, right? It just doesn't doesn't really happen unless you can throw billions and billions at it. But even if you do that, I mean, you know, look at PSG. They're a big club, right? They've thrown a lot of money at it. But we have to remember, with all due respect, that they play in Ligue 1, right? They're not playing in the Premier League. How so, dare you? How dare you, Shayla? I'm going to get lots of hate for that. But but no, like I, I said, it's, it's, I agree. It's, it's, it's the same thing in business, right? You've got to understand what you are. If I start a tech firm and I go, well, I'm going to be Apple, I'm like, well, probably not ever, right? But you might be a successful tech firm. So, you know, let, let's see. But coming back to some of these kind of, I guess what we want to talk about is a bit more about the smaller market clubs and where they kind of sit in the food chain. Um, you had a thread out, I think, talking about some of these clubs where to be sustainable, I guess you have to kind of seek excellence in in one of four, I think, areas you mentioned. You mentioned domestic success, European competitions, player trading, player development, or, or polishing, I think you mentioned. What, what what are you kind of talking about there? And do you have some examples of some clubs that you can come out and say, well, this is what they focus on. This is where they, that's where they are positioned in the food chain, I guess, um, within their own league and maybe within the wider European context or, or global football context. Yes. So, I mean, we're one day off a year ago. I, I tweeted out about Christoph Freund um, at Red Bull Salzburg and, Yes, uh, Red Bull is a little bit different setup, but what Ralph Ragnick has 
been able to implement and then step away from and still see. I think he's been uh, away from the Red Bull setup for almost five five seasons or five years now, uh, which is insane. Uh, I feel very old in saying that. But um, they have a methodology that protects their identity, right? So uh, when you know who you are as a club and you are aligned towards that mission, that mission could be as simple, it could be as dead simple as not getting relegated, right? Um, I make the joke all the time is that if, you, if, you, um, if you're not um, Italian and you're, you're very much uh, a fan of Italian football, uh, the one word, the one word that you're going to hear a thousand times between match day one and match day 38 is La Salvezza, which is the salvation. They don't want to be relegated. I mean, you'll the only clubs that are not allowed to say that are Juventus, the Milans, um, I, I guess, I guess, uh, Napoli now, um, Lazio, Roma. Some would say uh, Fiorentina as well. Oh, I don't know. Um, but like, you're, you're not allowed to um, not succeed right culturally so when you look at um we'll use salzburg rebel salzburg as a as a starting point because they're kind of they're kind of the hybrid model which is cunning in a sense they're in a league in the austrian league where they're the toughest outfit there i mean we've talked about Sturmgratz and andrea schickler but they essentially win the league Red Bull Salzburg wins the league every single year because they have better players. They have better players. We can talk about methodology and gag and pressing. Okay, sure, whatever. They have better players, you know? So when you have an outfit that creates and develops players, but then is also able to go into European competition, you have, and again, I'm going to be uh, transparent and say up front, like we're, we're always talking about money. Right. We're always talking about money one way or, or, or the other. It might not be obvious at the front end, but it's obvious at the back end, sometimes both. But when you're able to invest in players, but then also invest in the fact that your club is perennially going to be in the Champions League or Europa League, you have an opportunity to invest heavily into your infrastructure. The best small clubs do that. So uh, if, if we look... Let's focus more so on the player development to start. Player development looks different looks different in different leagues. So in Denmark, it looks it can look like FC Nordschland. It can look like bringing talent from West Africa and Scandinavia and having them play together and the average age of the squad being 22 years old. Uh, it can look like that. It can also look very much like what Lille does. Uh, Lille is one of those clubs where I mean, I have to be careful how I say it because I need to, I need to do more research. But they've changed hands a couple of times, and the, the hands who have held the club haven't always been the most long-term thinking. I'll say it that way. Uh, yet they get talent from Belgium. They get talent from the lower leagues in France. They get talent from Portugal. But maybe more importantly, they get managers who are on the up, and they match those together. Jonathan David, as far as I know, um, he hasn't gone anywhere but Jonathan David was playing in Belgium last few seasons and then he comes to Ligue 1 in France and he does the same thing when you can develop that Ren does something similar right 
they, they take talent from either their academy or from leagues around their constellation. So um, obviously France and Belgium, but then they take talent that has not performed at a high level, say in the Premier League or uh, Serie A and the academies of Primavera, and they put them in their setup. And when you have at, at Ren, you have a Bruno, um, I think it's Genesio or Genesio who's there. You develop talent at a level that once it's seen on the European platform, so Champions League, Europa Conference League, obviously Europa League, the value goes higher. It appreciates. When you can develop talent and show it, showcase it, I guess is a better way of saying it, it allows for your identity as a club to be known to the players, the, the profiles that are, quite frankly, the engine of the game. So that's one way as a club to develop players and to, to have sustainability. Because you know, when you look at, say, Brighton, or I mentioned RC Lons the last few weeks, you know you're going to lose talent if you're not Real Madrid, uh, you're not Chelsea, you're not Bayern. You don't, you don't always get to choose when you can let players go. You know, the irony of uh, Bayern is that, um, I, I can't recall his first name, but their CEO, Heiner, He's he said in the last two weeks that, you know, we lost Robert Lewandowski and that's 40 or 50 goals that are gone every single season now. And I wouldn't consider myself a thinking man, even though I try. I would say to myself, if we're going to sell him to Barcelona, where are we going to get a similar level of production? Not even talent, just production. And that's when you can reverse engineer. Okay. Who was who was making the recruitment decisions? When what was the timeline? How much time were they given, or did they give themselves? So whether you're going back slightly to the illustration of the watering hole, whether you're the lion um, who is a predator as far as recruitment and talent, or you're the zebra, you have to know who you are and when to go to the watering hole. It feels it feels a little bit like a supply chain, right? Like these clubs know where they sit in, in terms of the flow. Um, they know the players are going to come. They know play, they need to develop players, but eventually they're going to probably go to, I guess, that end destination, a club like Real Madrid or a club like Man City or something like that. So does, I guess, sporting directors probably look at that within the clubs and really, they just want to keep the flow going, right? They just, they know how to do it, I guess, in many ways. So is it a case of, ensuring that happens in, in some of these smaller market clubs? Is that probably one of the most important things that they have to do? So this is this is my reality. I, I don't want to project this on anybody. What I've found, um, what I've seen league after league, year after year, looking at whether it's just transfer market, I'm going to call it the transfer market diaspora. If you follow, I, I've said this before on other um other platforms, other podcasts. If you follow Erling Holland's progression as a player, you see quite clearly where a talent of his similar geographic starting point should go. It's clear, right? So if you multiply that times 10, 100, 1,000 profiles, what you start to see is a truth, at least from how I, from my vantage point. And that truth is quite simply this. Football is no different than business or supply chain or logistics. If you understand supply demand, if you understand 
if you can understand that the market is going to, um, let's call it overprice or underprice certain uh, talents or profiles, if you understand that, but then if you also understand, it's the word that it seems to be tricky for a lot of people, arbitrage, if you understand that a talent who scores 10 goals and a Danish Super League and is probably quite similar to a talent who scores seven to eight goals in the German Bundesliga. Again, being somewhat extreme for for emphasis here, if you can understand that, you can stay ahead. And staying ahead, it takes so much manpower and brain power, strategical nous, that what you are saying to me is the truth. If you can understand logistics and supply chain and where is our next talent coming from, dare I say the pathways, if you can understand that as a director, yes, you're going to have um, scenarios like COVID or you're going to have a World Cup in November and December of a year. And it's going to throw off different, I'm going to call it calendar machinations that most clubs are very in tune with. You're going to have those events. But what you're also going to do is insulate yourself against being caught off guard. And that is where, if I'm ever going to be critical about one thing with directors, is that you shouldn't, to a degree, you should not be caught off guard. You should have enough knowledge of where you are as a club. Again, to use the watering analogy, you should know that you are a zebra. Okay, And you should also know that because you are a zebra, dare I say, let's (laughs) for fun, let's call that zebra Brighton. You know that as Brighton, as a club, you're you're a zebra. You you look different than other clubs. You have different uh, markings, i.e. you have talents. You have young profile talents that can play at a high level. You should probably not go to the watering hole when the lion is taking a drink. Paul Barber has made the joke that, you know, if he sees Todd Bowley calling, he's not going to pick it up. He know, I mean, he's joking. He's picking up the phone. Let's be honest. He's, he's going to pick up the phone. That being said, you should know where, when and where you should recruit managers. You should know where, where and when to get that left back that nobody else in your, I'm going to call it um, galaxy. So, Top 10 in Premier League, uh, let's say top 10 in Ligue 1, top 10 in um, uh, wow, Germany, the Bundesliga, and maybe top six or so in Italy, Serie A. You know that other clubs in your direct rival scenario are not on that player. You know you need to get that player. Let's just say, for instance, that player is Mo- Mo- uh, Moises Caicedo. You know nobody else is, you know. At your level is truly recruiting Ecuador on that level. You have, So again, it goes back to knowing your identity and, and appreciating the fact that you have to do it differently. And maybe that's the, un, the uh, unsaid truth and the unsaid thread throughout the, this whole thing. You cannot mimic other clubs. You have to do it your way. Rangers in Scotland cannot recruit the same way that Tottenham does. Tottenham cannot recruit the same way that um, 
Mallorca does or the SE Freiburg does. You you cannot do that. You can you have to leverage who you are as a club. So whether that's geographically, ideologically, or um, to be cold blooded financially, you you have to leverage that against what your options are. You mentioned there on um, Freiburg, it was a club that we uh, we did actually mention before. I, I was looking at them a little bit, and we talked about stability last week. And slight tangent here, but I just wanted to see how that feeds into their food chain of exactly where they stand. I mean, they've had people in that club who have been there for decades, effectively, right? They seem to consistently finish, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh. Um, you know, they are obviously investing in some new infrastructure, so they are obviously trying to progress in some ways. But as that, using them as an example, David, where do you think they fit and what do you think they're thinking in terms of their sporting director and, and their recruitment strategy, I guess, a little bit? Uh, I, you know, with, with clubs like, uh, SC Freiburg, I, I love clubs that it's not that they're, I mean, Christian strike, their manager is definitely, um, dare I say counter culture. Um, he's definitely, I, I think, I think as of, it might've been last season. I know it wasn't directly the, the season of COVID, but he, he rides his bike into work, into the, you know, the training ground grounds, right? Um, I wouldn't do that, but you know, that, that's, that's who he is. Uh, he, he, he speaks plainly. He is about more than just say, quote unquote football. Uh, when, when you look at the directors that are at, um, Freiburg and Clemens Hardenbach, uh, Jochen Sire, again, in the 50 plus one model in Germany, you're, you're going to have. I don't want to use the word uh, consistency, but you're going to have power that is placed more so in a, I'm going to call it board model, which means that you have multiple decision makers. On the technical side, um, that is football is not, football is generally not like that. You normally have guys who, who flip or flip, that is a word. Uh, they, they fly through and they flip through that technical director, sporting director, academy director role every two to three seasons because uh, I forget the, I think it was either, I forget the manager who said you don't want to be at a club for more than three seasons because players stop listening. Well, um, yeah, guess what? Uh, as a director, that is the, op- to me, what I see is it, it, that is the opposite of what you want. You want those. So Harnbeck, Strike, and then, um, let me not butcher his name, uh, Sire, Jochen Sire, have been there over a decade. Mm-hmm. When you have that level of continuity, it breeds a certain level of success that is, um, it's no longer expected. It's cultural, right? It's cultural. Um, when I, uh, C- CIES Football Observatory they did a recent post on top 10 most valuable, I think it was under 23 prospects. And the list is who you think it would be. I mean, whatever. Uh, you, you already, I mean, we could all name off the top five easily. But you know what's the back end of that top 10? Oihan, I'm going to butcher his name and I apologize. Oh. My, 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 my Spanish, my Basque should be better. But Oihan Sanset, Atletico, or Athletic Bilbao. How is that possible? How is that like early Holland 
how many clubs has he played in the last three years? You know, uh, Mbappe, I'm not saying he's played a lot of clubs, but he's probably in, for what it's worth, I think we could all agree that Paris and Brazil, like say Rio, are probably one of the most football, world football talent, population dense areas in the world, right? Oyan Sanset is coming from Basque country in Spain. I'm not saying there's not talent there. What I'm saying is that he's played in the same geographic area his entire career. And he's one of the top, I mean, again, it's a projection, but he's one of the top 10 most valued profiles in world football. Maybe Athletic Bilbao is onto something, right? You don't, you're not always going to have or be able to buy to purchase a profile of that level. But when you can create an environment, a cultural expectation of development, I would love to see the math. Uh, the I would love to see the uh, a simple simple illustration. How much Athletic Bilbao has invested over the last fifty years into their infrastructure, and how much the quote unquote value of their I'm going to say their top two teams. So uh, Athletic Bilbao and then their their essentially their B team is the reverse, Bilbao Athletic. How how much those player values go against, uh, say, uh, even like, say, a Chelsea in the last two years compared to what they bought in the last two years, what Chelsea has purchased player-wise, profile-wise in the last two years compared to what um, Athletic Bilbao has invested over the last 50 years? And seeing what those player values, how they match up. It's not exactly a clean observation, but what I'm trying to get at is that when you invest in infrastructure, when you invest in cultural methodology of how we take care and we nurture our prospects and our profiles, you you get talent. You get talent. Maybe not, you know, Ballon d'Or winning talent, but A, you know, going back to my first comment, you stay in the top tier. B you're competitive, whether it's cups domestically or in European competitions. But then C, the football longs are going to love this, but you protect the brand. You you protect your club identity. And Athletic Bilbao's, and they weren't on the list, sorry, but uh, Athletic Bilbao, like their identity, their club identity is vastly different than 99.9% of the clubs in world football, let alone European football. And when you can align yourself as such, you give yourself competitive advantages. I, th- I think that's got that's got to be the holy grail for these smaller market clubs, right? That sustainability and that stability. With the bigger clubs, you're always going to get volatility, right? With the sums of money and I guess the profiles of players and and dare I say it, organizations buying these things, there's always going to be volatility, right? But they're always going to essentially stay in that top tier bracket just because of the resources that they have, right? But for these smaller clubs definitely just staying in those top tiers, definitely having a an inkling of success. And like you said, it's the culture, right? Ingrained culture that's probably been embedded over many years. It makes so much sense, I think, and having that identity. Lastly, we mentioned before about um, dominoes falling, you know, when you get a big transfer that drops. I, I don't want to speculate on names or anything like that, but when you have, I don't know, 100 million thrown at a player at a top club, leaves a gap behind in the club that they've just come from, they're now looking or they're going to go into their, I guess, list of, of wanted. How do you kind of see that working in terms of and then linking it back to a food chain? 
Yes. I mean, I'll name names. I'll be that guy. Uh, uh, so it's we can safely say that Jude Bellingham is at Real Madrid, right? I mean, I think yep. it's safe to say that it's now. Done. It's yeah. done, yeah. Um, so who, who does uh, Borussia Dortmund tap to replace him? Is that profile, are they in-house currently? Okay. That's that's the first thought. Then the second thought is there's no way, let's be honest, there's no way they have Jude Bellingham's replacement directly ready-made to replace his production and performance in-house. That's not how it works, right? Um, at least talent-wise, that's not how it works. So who are they who are they going to identify as his replacement? And where are they going to get him from? It's Borussia Dortmund. They do not have Real Madrid or, quite frankly, any top six Premier League budget, you know, financial power. They don't. They do not. Right. Where do they get that talent from? You know, Um, just just for the sake, for the sake of the illustration, let's say they watched the Champions League final. They saw Manchester City. They saw their boy Erling Holland, and they see Inter. And they say, wow, Nicolo Barella for Inter, he's nice. I mean, he's a little bit older profile compared to what um, we want. But maybe for this position, maybe for this center mid role, yeah, we would really like to tap up uh, Red Bull Salzburg and get the next striker that they have. Oh, that's right. We already have him. We have Kareem Adeyemi. We already have him in-house. But maybe we can overpay to a degree, based on age profile, a ready-made talent. Let's get Nicola Barella from FC Inter, okay? Nicola Barella is like, you know what? I'm going to get paid more, and I'm going to be in a Champions League, and I'm going to, you know, experience something new in Germany. I'm all for it. Inter sells him for, let's just make up a number, 60 million euro. Doubt it, but whatever. We're, We're keeping the illustration going. Where does Inter get that talent from? Where, where do they replace his talent from? Some would say, oh, they'll stay in league. There's probably somebody at Udinese. There's probably some. There's most likely um, a player, an Italian player at Sassuolo, who I've detailed heavily on Twitter, and then also Empoli, who's, who I've detailed heavily on Twitter, who have center mid profiles right now <laughs> that could play there, right? So let's say one of, one of those two clubs sell a player um, I know that doesn't necessarily play the same position, but let's just say Fratesi at uh, Sassuolo goes to Inter now. Where does Sassuolo then get that time? So, again, I, I mean, for the sake of not being overly redundant, as you can see, as talent moves up the food chain or the pyramid of clubs, that talent needs to be replaced. And let me take a sidebar and say very candidly, if you as a director cannot replace talent, you will not have a job for long. Like that is the name of the game. Uh, the managers now, I, I think we're kind of in this uh, holding period in, in football clubs where the managers, depending on the club, depending on the country and depending on the league, managers do not have as much, um, let's call it uh, recruiting power, but they are more so tied to the direct results of the club. Okay. As they always will and should be. Directors, especially sporting directors, technical, technical, excuse me, directors and directors of football, if they cannot replace talent, replenish talent, I mean, your head has to be on a swivel because there's no need for you if you can't do that at that level for that club. So 
with that sidebar being said, when you can see how the dominoes fall when Jude Bellingham goes to Real Madrid, this is why, um, not to go into too many specifics, this is why, like last, uh, I believe it was last summer. So if, if you if you follow Red Bull Salzburg end of 2022, you were kind of sitting on the edge of your seat because Chelsea came from the, for the director in uh, Christoph Freund. Somehow, wisely or, or otherwise, uh, Christoph Freund uh, stayed at Red Bull, Red Bull Salzburg. Okay, But then, whether it's Roko Simic or Nicolas Seawall, they, they constantly have talents, profiles that are being plucked. It immediately reminds me of what Paul Barber said is where it's like the only way that you can protect your club as a director is through contracts and succession planning. So when you know that you have talents in-house, contractually, you have a very open dialogue with your talent. And you say, hey, look, um, yes, I know. I know Arsenal wants you. I've talked to you. I do myself. They want you. We can't let you go until summer of 23. Like we will help. We we want you to go to the next step. We will help you pack. We will make this last season with us as good or as great as we can make it. However, sportingly, which is always the brass tacks, sportingly, we have to keep you. The smart clubs do not let players go before the sporting objectives are hit. The not so smart clubs We'll sell a player because, um, you know, the, the iron's hot. I won't go into uh, <laughs> I won't name drop in that direction. But when you can sell a player on in confidence, knowing that, hey, I mean, you always want to win the quote unquote transfer. Um, but sportingly, you should not jeopardize the project because of one opportunity. Agreed totally. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see which which clubs follow that mantra, which sporting directors follow that mantra over, over this period. David, as always, it's, it's been insightful. I think we, we covered many areas there and I think there's, you know, we could definitely go deeper, which I think, you know, which we will do um, in, in the coming weeks. As always, we just want to thank you for being here. We want to thank you for, for listening to, to this podcast and, you know, I'll put David's uh, Twitter handle in the show notes. You know, he puts out some really, really insightful threads um, as, as well as comments um, speaking about the sporting director world. In terms of Get Football, you know, please look out for the content we produce across all of our outlets. I'll put the link in, in the show notes also. And, you know, we'd love to hear back from you on on areas or topics that you'd like to, to hear us talk about. You know, if you want more depth, more insight, Please take it easy, have a great day, and we will see you on the next one.